uh, want you to imagine that you have a friend, all right, who has um, never been here and is not around here, um, and has never had any exposure to Jesus or to Christianity as a whole. Okay, they know absolutely nothing. And you start to bring them around Northfield. Uh, you invite them to hang out with some of your Christian friends. And over time, they begin to ask all sorts of questions. They are not used to the normal things that we take for granted. And so at first, their questions seem silly and elementary. But the more you think about them, you begin to consider why we do the things the way that we do. And so here are some of their observations that lead into some of their questions. First, every Sunday, we spend 20 minutes singing together. They see that we're a group of people who gather together on a weekly basis, and one of the key foundations of our gathering together is singing together. They mentioned that uh, the only time they would sing in a group is at a birthday party, singing happy birthday, or at a concert. They also soon realized that there is one person who usually gets up to speak for 30 minutes each week, and this person, whoever it is, uh, always asks us to open this black book that we call the Bible. Begins to ask questions about it. They soon learn that some of it was written around 3,000 years ago. And they wonder why we would waste our time reading something so old. They also notice that during some of our gatherings together, we eat a little cracker and a shot of grape juice. And they ask if there are special powers in this food and in this drink. And they are confused about all the talk around it representing someone's blood. And they ask what we believe is actually happening in that moment. And it doesn't take uh, long before they realize that, that we bow our heads and we close our eyes sometimes, but someone is still talking out loud, and that we call this prayer. And they ask, Who is this person talking to? Why would you talk to someone you can't see? How do you know this person that you're talking to is even listening? And then they leave this room. And your friend notices brown boxes out in the foyer that read tithes and offerings. And they ask some pretty simple questions. Why, why do you put your money in there? Who takes it? Where does it go? Why don't you just keep the money for yourself? Don't you need the money? And lastly, which is where we'll be spending the rest of our time uh, this morning, you invite your friend to the Manningham's house tonight for the baptisms. You try to explain what is going to happen, and they repeat what you have said to them to make sure that they understand. And they say this, they say, so you're telling me that these people believe that they have been saved by this God that you believe in. And one of the ways to show God and the rest of your church that you have been saved is to go into a lake 
and have someone put you under water and then bring you back up from the water. Why do you do that? Why water? What, is, what does water have, have to do with being saved? Why can't you just tell people that you're saved, that you've changed, and that you're now following Jesus? Why do you have to go in the water? Other than answering this question with saying, well, God commands us to, right? That's, that's why we do it. question for you right now is, do you have an answer to that question? Do you know why God has, has chosen baptism by water for his church, for his followers? Is it random or is it extremely biblical and a beautiful understanding of God's design in Scripture starting with the very first page of the Bible. I think you know what I believe. All these things that I've mentioned so far have, have biblical roots, and they are good, and they are foundational. Okay, So I, I'm not asking you to question why we do the way we do things, but this morning we're going to be looking at baptism by water. And my hope is to do two things. Okay, First, to give you a biblical understanding of the importance of water when it comes to baptism. And secondly, no matter if you've been baptized or not, to show you how the idea of baptism applies to all of us every single day of our lives, okay? And what I'm about to share with you uh, is not something that I've just made up on my own reading of Scripture. Scholars agree that what we're about to study is intentional by the biblical authors, okay? And so therefore, disclaimer, I'm relying quite a bit on their work. And so if you have any questions, um, I would love to point you to a few of the resources that I've used. And so we will also be in many different places in the Bible, and it also may be a little intellectual and a little heady for a while, but stick with me. All right, it is so, so good. And lastly, high schoolers, a lot of this will not be new for you if you have listened to me at all the past year, okay? So with that being said, take out your bulletin. Uh, your bulletin is going to be key this morning. The slides are going to be key. And also, take out your Bible. And turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, page 1 in your Bible. As we know, baptism is going in and out of the water. So we have to understand, how, how does Scripture talk about water? Okay, there, are, there are many ways scripture talks about water, but from the beginning, get this, water in the form of the sea or the ocean okay, is not a good thing. Water in the form of sea or the ocean is not a good thing. So Genesis 1, starting in verse 1, follow along with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So real quick, in the beginning, God created the skies and the land. And the land was formless and void, or another translation is wild and waste. And darkness was over the face of these deep waters. But God's Spirit was hovering, okay, or fluttering over the face of the waters like a bird would. Simply put, there is, is work to be done if humans are going to be able to live here. Um, 
fellow creation accounts from Israel's neighbors during this time have key differences in their creation accounts. Okay, I want to make that clear. But they usually talk about water and specifically the sea or the ocean in the same way. It's dangerous and it's scary. Okay? The ocean is dangerous and it's scary. Just imagine the ocean before electricity, before the huge boats and the technology that we now have. You don't want to go out there. Why? Because you may never come back. And the author of Revelation knows this, and he plays off this idea when he writes in chapter 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then he says, And the sea was no more. The sea was no more. What does that have to do with anything about the the new heavens and the new earth? Why was, was that included? And there's debate whether or not this is literal or symbolic, but regardless, the point is that the sea is dangerous and the sea is chaotic. And danger and chaos will not be in the new heavens and the new earth. All right, so I put it this way in your bulletin. The waters are an obstacle for humans to flourish in this world. The waters are an obstacle for humans to flourish in this world. We don't have gills, right? We can't live in the water, so something needs to be done. Keep reading. Genesis 1, look at verse 6 with me. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and he separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. So get this. God separates the waters above from the waters below. And what does he call this separation? In other translations, he calls it the sky, right? Or the heavens, And then God allows dry land to appear from the water. Okay, this is good news. Finally, a place humans, the first humans, can call home. The waters are an obstacle for humans to flourish in this world, but God took care of that very, very quickly by creating the sky and then allowing dry land to appear from the water. Unfortunately, we know what happens The next few chapters, humans rebel, they create a mess of God's good world, and God lets them reap what they have sown. A thing called decreation happens. The very act of separating the waters from the waters in Genesis 1, it gets reversed, and the land is flooded. Okay, so look at Genesis 7, starting in verse 11. It'll also be on the screen. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the foundations of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heaven, heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Skipping to verse 22, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out everything that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were all blotted out from the earth. 
Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. Chapter 8, verse 1, but. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Once again, waters are dangerous. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. Think about that. Everything died. That's, that's sobering. And if I can say this, this is not primarily a children's story. But God saved a remnant. Noah and his family with some of the animals that were in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. That word wind is the same exact Hebrew word in Genesis 1 used for the spirit in the spirit of God. And so that means God's spirit is once again separating the waters from the waters to make dry land appear. And more importantly, also in your notes and on the screen, Noah and his family passed through the waters into safety and salvation. Rhetorical question for you. Can you think of another story in the Old Testament of a group of people passing through the waters on dry ground into safety? If you have your Bible open and you want to turn there, turn to Exodus chapter 14. It's page 56 in your pew Bible. Many of you know this, but Israel is enslaved in Egypt And God wants to rescue them, and so Pharaoh finally agrees to let them go. But at the last minute, Pharaoh changes his mind, and he sends the Egyptians after the Israelites. And we read this, Exodus 14, verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east, what? Strong east wind all night and made the sea, what? dry land, and the waters were divided, the waters were separated, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Verse 26, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But all the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Also in your bulletin, Moses and the Israelites pass through the waters into freedom. Moses and the Israelites are no longer slaves in Egypt. They have been set free. They have been rescued by God through the waters, just like Noah and his family. There's more. All right, it keeps getting better. Joshua 3, you don't need to turn there, but Israel has been set free from Egypt. Okay, they've been wandering in the wilderness, following God around for 40 years, and they are finally about to enter into the promised land. 
But guess what stands between them and the promised land? A body of water. Joshua 3, verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water. Side note from the author, in parentheses, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, but not now. And the waters were coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. And verse 17, Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Maybe you're bored, and if you are, I'm sorry, but I love the Bible. God stops the flow of the Jordan River at a time where it is usually overflowing. And he allows the priest and all of Israel to pass through. And so in your notes, Israel enters the promised land through the waters. So we have Genesis 1, which sets the scene that the waters are an obstacle for human flourishing. God then saves Noah and his family through the waters in the flood. In Exodus, Moses and the Israelites find freedom through the waters of the Red Sea. The Israelites then wander the wilderness for 40 years, and they enter the promised land through the waters of the Jordan River. That's the Old Testament. There are a few more that I didn't mention, but those are the main ones. What about the New Testament? Does Jesus, does Paul, do they have anything to say? Last place I'll ask you to turn. Turn with me in Matthew chapter 3. Page 808 in your pew Bible. A man named John the Baptist, who is a cousin of Jesus, is baptizing people or putting them through the waters. And what river is he putting them through the waters? The Jordan River. The very river the Israelites crossed into the promised land. And then Jesus appears on the scene. Matthew 3, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And then verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus goes into the waters to be the faithful Messiah Israel has been waiting for. He is identifying with the story of the nation of Israel. Let me read this quote from a scholar. He says, quote, When Jesus comes to be baptized, many of the baptismal events of the Old Testament are alluded to and find their ultimate significance in this important scene. Jesus' baptism is the beginning of new creation, Genesis 1. He is the ultimate Noah's Ark where we can be saved and start again, 
Genesis 7 and 8. He is the new Moses who rescued us from, the, from slavery and into freedom, Exodus 14. He is the new Joshua who we can follow into God's promises, Joshua 3. And all that Jesus did when he underwent the violent flood of chaos in his crucifixion made a way for everyone who trusts in him to enter the new creation life that he offers. He is where life can flourish and God's pleasure rests. Jesus is amazing. There's there's no other way to put it. Jesus is amazing and his story is amazing. So if I haven't lost you yet, what do we do? How do we respond? I think Paul has the answer for us. In Romans 6, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And then verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And so what is our response? We willingly go into the waters to identify with Jesus and participate in his death to come out with new life. Think about this. The flood, everyone else died. The Exodus story, the Egyptians, all of them that went into the water, they all died. Jesus was baptized, and his passing through the waters eventually was his death, his crucifixion. And our baptism, which we're going to celebrate tonight, is our symbolic death, is dying to ourselves and to Christ in order to come up out of the water in the newness of life as Paul said. So what is baptism? There's so much to discuss about that question, and I don't have time to go into all the details in this sermon. And so I want to be clear on that. But as it specifically relates to baptism and water, one scholar defines it perfectly. Baptism is about participating in this ancient biblical pattern of going through the waters of death and following Jesus out the other side into new creation. That's baptism. So let's slow down. Let's let's take a breath. We've engaged the mind, and now let's engage the heart. I want to look at three possible responses for us, okay? First, very, very simple I want again, uh, once again invite you and encourage you to come tonight to the baptisms at 6 o'clock at the Manninghams. Together, let's be a people who celebrate those who are willingly passing through the waters in a symbolic act to come out the other side in newness of life. Having their identity affirmed as a child of God and as a follower of Jesus. And secondly, number two, To those of you who have not been baptized, I want to just very gently ask, why not? 
After preaching the first Christian sermon in Acts chapter 2, the people ask Peter, what shall we do? If what you are saying is true, what shall we do? And Peter responds with this, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this, are you following Jesus this morning or are you following yourself and the ways of this world? At some point, death will be a reality for all of us and the question for all of us is, is will we willingly die to ourselves before then? And if you haven't, I encourage you to surrender. I encourage you to repent to choose Jesus and his story. And even this morning to talk about this with somebody and ask them the question, what does it look like to begin to follow Jesus? And if you are following Jesus and you have not been baptized, I just want to say, think about what you're missing out on. This biblical theme, this practice that has been of the church for its entire existence is a beautiful thing. Not only are you obviously identifying with Jesus, okay, we know that, but you're also participating with Noah in the flood story. You're participating with Moses in the Exodus story. And you're participating with all of the Israelites as they enter the promised land in Joshua. It's pretty cool. And if you haven't been baptized, I would encourage you to be a part of it if you're following Jesus. And lastly, number three, for those of us who are following Jesus and have been baptized, I want to let you know that this passing through the waters of death is a daily thing. It's similar to repentance. It's not a one-time act, but a lifestyle of dying to yourself and identifying with Jesus and identifying with his church. And so, if you're like me and you lost your temper with your children this week, repent and pass through the waters of death. If you obsessively check your retirement and your bank account and find comfort in a number on a screen, repent and pass through the waters of death. If you were impure in your mind or in action this week, repent. If you looked in the mirror and you put your identity in what you saw, repent and pass through the waters of death. If you had too much to drink this week and you lost control of your body and your mind, repent and pass through the waters of death. If you were unkind this week behind a screen and a keyboard on a thing that we call social media, repent and pass through the waters of death. If you saw someone here this morning and it triggered ill and bitter feelings towards them, repent and pass through the waters of death. If you have unresolved tension in your marriage, repent and pass through the waters of death. If you were apathetic about someone else's suffering and you thought that it's their own fault that they are suffering, repent and pass through the waters of death. 
if you controlled and manipulated a situation at the expense of another. Repent and pass through the waters of death. And the good news is when we do these things, when we pass through the waters of death with Jesus, he raises us and he brings us into newness of life. He brings us into new creation, a life with him for all of eternity. That's what we're signing up for. And I'll be honest, it can be a tough life. It can be awkward to repent to others. And it can be tiring at times, I get it. But as a pastor once said, the hardest thing about being a Christian is there are no days off, comma, but it's worth it. Let's pray. Father, you know what we need to hear even in this moment as I pray. Lord, you know what we need to do to take something from our mind, like all this scripture and all these stories. And I pray that by your spirit, you would engage it in our hearts. Lord, that we would be a people first who would decide to follow you. So Father, I pray right now that there is anyone in here who is not following you, Lord, that you would give them a nudge that they would desire to repent and begin to follow you and think about baptism and think about changing their life to be saved by your grace and your mercy. Lord, for us in here who claim to be following you but have not been baptized, Lord, remove any sort of man-made fear that gets in the way and allow us to take that step of obedience, identifying with you and your son and your spirit and also so many other people who have gone before us. And lastly, God, for those of us who have been baptized, pray that we would be a people who repent on a daily basis, a people who pass through the waters of death willingly to come out the other side each and every day in newness of life as you continue to make us a new creation. So, Father, we love you. We pray this in your son's name. And everyone said, amen.